In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You see me taking my watch from my wrist and putting it in front of me. And you discern this is an ominous sign. <laughs> my sense of time is no better than my sense of time and space and of money. And as I look over this text I prepared, I see at once a certain simplicity. It always takes a while to achieve simplicity. It takes a long time. And when I depart from texts, time has little meaning. This very reliable watch, a gift from our son, not a Swiss Army watch, but a Swiss Federal Railways watch with no less than two separate motions inside it, is capable of keeping very strict time. And I would like to promise you that exactly at half past the hour, when the little red hand hits the 12 and pauses for one second, I will desist. So you can pray for that. <laughs> promises, promises. Actually, today's text is part of a series which, having actually looked at the lectionary beyond the horizon next Sunday, I realize keeps us pretty close to John 6th. The series then began with John 6 at the picnic, appropriately enough, because much of John 6 is about food. It's about Jesus, and it's about food. And food is something very interesting to me. Jesus says, as far as that goes, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, to the life of the age to come, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. As I said, Deacon Joy dealt beautifully with the two kinds of food, if you like, that Jesus is offering. And we were able to hear her word as we found our own appetites quickened by the smell of the protein sizzling on the grates under the enclosure. We had a very real sense of food and what the food that we were going to partake of was very appealing to us. And we got to the table and picked what was there whether or not we had a spouse looking over our shoulder or not, or a child who was telling us what we should or should not have, we could make that momentous choice that haunts us all when food is an issue. It haunts us from the time we're a little child in a high chair, hearing her mother say, please eat some more of this nice squash, or we hear it from those medical specialists which we add to our list of dependents as we toddle in and out of their offices at year, riper years that take their toll on us and they present us with the same list. This is what you should be eating, you know. Uh, Father Martin, you should be very glad that that Krispy Kreme stand finally closed up shop in Glen Ellen and you aren't tempted to go there anymore. Now stick to your squash and you'll do very well. It's about wants and needs, in other words, what I'm here to say. And the difference between wants and needs is the whole Christian project in a nutshell. Forget about morality, forget about epistemology. It's all about what we want, 
And with that quote from Melanchthon written, Cranmer's own handwriting in the margins of his copy, his commonplace book, what the heart desires, the will chooses. What the heart desires, the will chooses. And the mind comes along later and simply says, well, what can we do to make the best of this? What the heart desires, the will chooses, and the mind rationalizes. It justifies. So what we want is very important. Whether our want is our hunger, whether it's our thirst, whether it's our aspirations, our lusts, our dreams, our highest hopes, and those other desires that come from a very deep place. Sorting out our wants and our needs is a problem, and they need to be sorted out. Since the fall, our wants and our needs do not always coincide. The Christian journey is bringing them back into sync. You can do a little logical square, which is what I do usually. On the top of one corner, it says what we want. On the top of the other corner, what we need. What we want is what we think is good for us. What we need is what God knows is good for us. At the bottom, diagonally opposite from what we want is what we don't want, which is right under what we need. And we spend a lot of our life right there, knowing that what we need is what we don't want. Diagonally opposite, what we need is what we don't need. And as we go through the Christian life, we learn over and over that what we don't need, we really don't need. And the journey is to get what we don't need out of the way so we can go for what we need. But right over what we don't need at the bottom left-hand corner of that square is what we want. On that side, in other words, using the food metaphor, is junk food. All that stuff we want, which hopefully won't do us too much harm, just a bunch of calories that are going to go for nothing or stick around for eternity. And on the other side, the food that really builds us up, those steamed green beans, if you like, which are going to add some vital minerals to our constitution. And we work that out at every level, spiritually and physically. At the bottom, what we don't want and don't need we can take a sigh of relief and hope we don't spend much time down there. But we do, unfortunately. So, if you were able to forsake the protein that we don't have this week for the carbohydrates that we all crave, we can at least realize that as far as bread goes, we have done so at our Lord's explicit request. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Whoever comes, of course, is whoever he draws to him, as we will learn. And we shall hear in the weeks to come affirmation after affirmation of what you will find in those two little volumes we prepared for you on the table outside, the Catechism from 1549, the Articles of Religion from 1572, the statement of our Anglican faith, which is essentially a Reformed faith with hankerings after Lutheranism. I'm quoting Ashley No. Reformed faith looks at wants and needs and says, your will is not really free to pick either of them. So what you'd better pray is what we have already prayed, that God will get inside your heart and change it so that you start to want him and hunger for him and thirst for his righteousness. 
This is not something that you do yourself out of some little island of righteousness within you. It's a free gift of grace. And God, in his mercy and his pity, takes upon himself in his sovereign monergistic power to make that choice, to touch your heart, to make it tender, and to make you begin to be receptive to God, his word, and his spirit. After that, we have to negotiate a few things. But what we learn to negotiate is to invite that same God into our hearts again and again and again to change them. Because if we just try to do it on our own, we have no hope. If we simply try to follow a behavioristic list of do's and don'ts, we will be good churchgoers and angry as slaves inside. And if there is one thing that God teaches us in his word, it is that the change of our hearts is the most important thing. Simple obedience with a hard heart will make you a Pharisee, and they end up very badly. So we are judged in the end by the disposition of our hearts. And it's that tender heart which has come at least to know our need of the love of a gracious God and our inability to do anything that we need to do from our own repertoire of, of merit and of motivation that makes this whole project work. It's tough medicine in an evangelical context, but that's our story, and we're sticking with it, and our colleague today, as you've seen, makes that pretty clear. I'll turn to it, because it's good stuff. And it says, let your merciful ears, merciful, because we can't do anything on our own to please you, Lord, be open to the prayers of your humble servants. It all starts in our hearts with our prayers. That they may obtain their and that they may obtain their petitions, that we may get what we ask for. What? Give us the strength to wrestle God to the ground and give us what we want, as I've heard some people say. No. Make them to ask such things as shall please you. Come into our hearts first and tune our desires to yours because we will know that perfect freedom of which the text speaks when what we want and what you want are one and the same thing. Change our hearts through your sovereign grace so we will start to delight in the green beans and in the squash more and more. Now I'm nearing the end of my time. I've made my one point. But I'm going to quote my great inspiration, Luther, before I leave you altogether. And Luther, in his commentary on the little part of Ephesians that we've heard today, comments this. It's all about needs and wants. You have received God's grace and his word and are a blessed people. In Christ, all your needs are blessedly supplied. Be mindful of this and remember that you are called to a far different and vastly higher life than others know. What God wants for you, which is what your need is, has nothing to do with the needs. Well, everything to do with the needs or nothing to do with the wants of the unregenerate, unredeemed people who have not received the favor of God's change of heart. God may move through their hearts from time to time with the sovereign freedom of his spirit, 
to give them desires that are his. But that spirit goes where it will, like the wind. With the gift of faith and the gift of grace that comes with it, we have access to that same spirit when we want, when we want. So our task is to pray that we will want it more often because when we want it, we will be given it. Be mindful of this and remember that you are called to a far different and vastly higher life than others know. Show by your manner of living that you seek a higher good than the world seeks. Not that we're trying to play the world's game and win, but that we're playing a game that the world can't comprehend at all. Our prayer is that we will be seen to be losers in this game. Because that's when the church has really touched people's hearts. When they've said, I don't know what on earth these Christians are doing. They're not after the same things we want, and it doesn't seem to matter. And then when we're put to the test of what we want, and we cling to it and persevere through trial of all kinds, the world begins to take notice. If it's a little mischievous, and I'm about to go over my time, I will simply say that my prayer again and again is that my heart will be changed enough to ask God to change it even more. Amen.